from Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 133. Today's show is brought to you by Pingdom, Encapsula, and Squarespace. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by the one and only Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen Hackett. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm very good. I'm Federico Vitici. Ciao, Federico. Ciao, Mike. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. But do you know who I'm not as well as? I'm not as well as the Icon Factory today. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. You, you, wow. you, don't, you don't have a spare change of $100,000 in your pocket? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I don't know if they really consider it spare change either. Like, you know, I, I'm not uh, sure. Or maybe, maybe they have really big pockets. I don't know. It depends on context. <laughs> How big is a $100,000 pocket? Who knows? But they did it. You guys, you guys jumped right in. <laughs> Why wait, man? I had a whole like preamble, but yeah, enough with this chit chat that we do every wow. every time. Yeah, it's I, business I, time. Get down to business. Do the show. I don't. I don't want to hear about the weather. No. It's awful anyway in London. So you know, let's just move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? It's not too bad today. Sun's yeah, out. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Every time you say it's not too bad, then you serious. post a picture, there's weather a gray sky. In, all right, we're uh, doing this now then. Forget Twitterific. <laughs> who cares? Uh, weather in London, 15 degrees Celsius today, mm-hmm. mostly cloudy. Yeah. So that is uh, 59 <laughs> degrees <laughs> Fahrenheit. That's pretty good. It's a high as 16 today. 0% chance of rain. Okay, we okay. have a, we are different definitions of pretty good. So Look, it's all relative. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yes. Like you're probably experiencing my summer right now. Yeah, oh, yeah, you guys get cranky. Because we're not built for it. Like you are just about to complain about snow, right? L- last year, Mike and Gray were going crazy because it was like, <laughs> I don't know, 25 degrees or something. It was like super normal. Do you have air conditioning in your home, Federico? I do. Yeah, well, exactly. But I don't go crazy. Because you have air conditioning. <laughs> we don't have it. That's the point. We'd have to just sit in these hot homes. There was something else about it that made it funnier at the time. I don't know. Because all of our windows were closed. It was oh, it was the worst. <laughs> wow. How's your preamble now, huh? <laughs> so we, uh, we did end up talking so about So what I came stuff. here to say in the preamble yeah. is to tell Federico that uh, Mary has started learning some Italian. And she reports that the word spoon is a hilarious word to her. That it's a very strange word. And I don't know what the word is. And I was curious if you could say it. And then maybe uh, if you had any insight on why it's so weird. I, I'm not sure why it's funny. It's cucchiaio. It does kind of sound kind of funny. <laughs> why? I don't know. It has a fun rhythm to it. Can you say it one oh, more man. time? Cucchiaio. Yeah, that's good. That's, that seems like a really involved word for spoon. It, is, me, it, is, actually, it is actually quite difficult to, to type when you think about it. Uh, mm. it's, like, it's like, you know, I, I wouldn't have imagined the word spoon would be so difficult. Yeah, I guess spoon is easier. It, it kind of sounds... Like the name of like the first album of some indie band no one wants to hear. I don't know. Something about it <laughs> well, seems. Okay. Anyways, so Twitterific funded, uh, what was it, last week? And now, as of last night, they hit their uh, stretch goal of $100,000, which means it'll have, you know, basic features like direct messaging and <laughs> lists. So uh, I'm excited for this. I backed it, as we talked about. Um, I'm glad they hit it. I know there was some doubt, I think, from from one of us that they would be able to do that. But they did. And they still have 48 hours to go. So it could still go a little bit higher. They do have, uh, we should say, they do have some like crazy $125,000 level, which there's like, they're not going to hit. Um, but it includes some stuff like a built-in profile editor. You can do that on the web. Trends no one cares about. Um, 
dockless mode, which is actually interesting. Do- dockless mode. So when Twitterific first launched, like 35 years ago, uh, it had a mode. In fact, maybe its only mode at first was it was just a menu bar app. So you went to your menu bar and you could send a tweet and see some of your timeline. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I'm I'm happy for him. I'm excited about seeing the betas, um, and I'm glad that it's going to be a little more full featured. That seventy five thousand dollar level. I mean, missing direct messaging was really going to be kind of a kind of a bummer. So I'm glad that that they've done this. So congratulations, Icon Factory. So I was there. I did back it um, when it looked like it was going to hit a hundred thousand, because then the app was useful to me. Like right. if it never met the hundred thousand, there was all there was for me anyway. From at least what Twitterific was saying, it was unclear that they would have ever added features that I would want. Um, sure. And then because it looked like they were gonna, then I was happy to put my my pledge in, and I went with a thirty dollar level because I want stickers because naturally. Um, so I'm really happy that they made it. Um, I I still think I still have some like problems with the campaign itself, the way it was set up. I don't think that things were made very clear. Um, to backers about what was hap- what would happen, and I don't think that throughout the process, the Icon Factory did a great job of like fleshing all of that out. Um, but I am very pleased for them because Twitterific is an application that should exist because simply just for nostalgia for me, like I just want it to be there, <laughs> right? Like I just don't want it right. to go away. So, congratulations to the Icon Factory um, on not only funding their campaign but hitting a a much needed stretch goal. Yeah, there, there's been a lot of conversation about, you know, how are they going to keep this version from falling into the same problem uh, the last version did? And I haven't spoken to anyone at the Icon Factory, but uh, Craig Hockenberry did a nice two-part interview on the Release Notes podcast uh, by our friends uh, Joe and Charles. And basically it seems like this is to get it built and then ongoing sales, they hope, will be able to support it. And... You know, I think anytime you launch a big expensive app like this, especially on the Mac, it, you know, there's there's questions there. Like, is this a sustainable thing? And Tweetbot's pretty entrenched. I think a lot of people, especially listening in our audience, are using Tweetbot because it has those power uh, user options. And it'll be I'm curious to see how Twitterific will fit into that that landscape. You know, the Twitter app for Mac, it's not great, but it's better than it was. And it's it's perfectly usable. I know a lot of people use it. Jason Snell uses it, and uh, I, I'm very curious to see how this plays out long term. If they can if they can find a level of success that allows them to keep developing it, or is this going to be you know another deal where you know five years go by, you know, and and it's basically the same app. And and I guess it doesn't really matter because Twitter's not going to be in business in five years. But uh, it, I just I kind of wonder how long term this will this will play out. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, uh, yesterday Apple posted a new ad, and we, we talked a little bit, I think, about the the iPad ads they've been doing, uh, but this one is about uh, iMessage sticker packs, and if you haven't watched it, there'll be a link in the show notes. It is, I think, hysterical. Like, I, I love this ad. Uh, it has Mike Curley written all over it, yeah, but... It's just it's just really funny. Like there's a there's a scene at the end where this guy is like, you know, like kind of making eyes with someone from like across the alley, or like across the street outside this venue, and someone comes by and just like slaps a sticker on his face and like kind of interrupts like the little romantic moment. Like the whole thing is just really well done, and I think a lot of fun. And uh, so thumbs up for me. I was curious what you guys thought about it. Yeah, I think that like this is a difficult thing to show in in a conceptual way. Like I can imagine that the, the idea for this ad. 
uh, came to somebody and be like a flash, you know, like it's like, oh, I don't know what to do. But like it, it's I, I see it as being a difficult thing to come up with. Like, how do you show what these stickers actually mean to people that use them? And I think mm-hmm. they did a really good job. It's like it is a way to express an emotion or a thought or, you know, th- that you can't really do as well in text or as I've said before, like even an emoji. Like stickers, we were talking about this last week, right? That they have this extra thing to them, this extra level of personality that you can add. Um, and I think they did a really good job of portraying that with some fun stuff and also something that I really like and I'm sure you do too, Federico, that they didn't go with just the obvious stickers. Like there are Disney stickers and other like movie and cartoon stickers in this, but they also went with a bunch of stickers from independent and kind of smaller artists as well. Yeah, they featured uh, a lot of sticker packs from indie artists. I mean, there's one, for example, called called Marcy Moji. Uh, There are a couple uh, traveling the world and uh, she's drawing the stickers and he actually turns them into code for this custom sticker pack. We did a feature story on, on, on Marcy Moji a couple of months ago and it's featured in an Apple commercial now and along with other sticker packs from indie artists and developers, it's very, it's very nice to see Apple kind of trying to put the spotlight on both you know, the big names like Disney and you know, uh, popular um, characters from movies and cartoons as well as these creations by, you know, just about anyone who's releasing some stickers on the App Store. Like the aforementioned Icon Factory as well, they're in there. So that's very nice. Uh, and, I, and I appreciate how Apple balanced, uh, you know, to get the, as you said, to get the idea of, you know, engaging in a sticker fight, uh, as it happens in a lot of conversations on iMessage. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they found this uh, sort of uh, metaphor of the actual sticker fight, but they also managed to show the footage of somebody interacting with the iMessage app, which I think is also meant to address the the concerns of how do you use stickers. So they show a person tapping on the iMessage uh, app drawer to open the sticker browser. Uh, so I think that was you know contextual to and functional to uh, showing also iMessage how it actually works. So I think overall it's a very fun fun commercial. It's great to see this. Uh, we have a list. Uh, of the uh, of every sticker pack featured, it's like fifty or sixty. It's a it's a lot of stickers, so it's uh it's awesome. We spoke last week about the idea of an iMac Pro, and we got a bunch of email about that. And there was one from Spencer I wanted to highlight. And I will say, going into this, uh, this strays into ATP territory a lot. And I know the two of you are just gonna sit there right, quietly. We'll see you later. So I'll get Thanks, through this man. quickly. Um, see you next week, everyone. <laughs> Intel does have a. Uh, a new Xeon series that is closer to what the IMAX chassis would require when it comes to heat and power. And the the details aren't super important but uh, or really all that interesting. But basically, it actually requires less power than what's in the IMAX 5K now. And, you know, assumingly would not need a new ventilation system and the cooling stuff we talked about last week. It also supports Thunderbolt 3, but... Uh, one problem is it doesn't really add the PCI support that the Mac Pro would need. So the, the Mac Pro right now, if you turn around to the back, it's got a whole bunch of Thunderbolt 2 ports. And they're grouped in kind of a funny way, and you get certain speeds and certain combinations like you do on the MacBook Pro. But you can have that many Thunderbolt ports because of additional PCI lanes in the system itself. And from my reading and talking to a few people, the Xeon E3 doesn't really give you that. Uh, there's also talk that 
you know, there there are other ways to get more cores into an iMac. The the line that they're using now, the i5 and i7, a future version of that on the roadmap says that they're going to have a six core option. The Xeon E3 has, has more than four cores, but I still don't think this is the answer because you, I think a pro machine needs more than two Thunderbolt three ports. Um, and you know, the 15 inch MacBook Pro has four of them, but the ones on the right side of the machine are not as capable as the ones on the left side of the machine. The speeds are slower on that right side. It's because of the limitations in these chipsets. So I think all of that is to say in, Intel and Apple do have options when it would come to making a Mac Pro that is substantially faster and perhaps more capable. But I think that what pros really want and need is still going to be in a in a form factor that doesn't look like an iMac. And this is interesting, and the Xeon chip is is cool in some ways, but I don't think it's where Apple's going to go. But who knows? We were also talking about the iMac, and I rattled off a bunch of our friends who had a 5K iMac, and I forgot to mention Casey Liss, and he got upset with me. So, Casey, I'm sorry. Casey, I'm just talking to you now. I'm sorry I forgot about your iMac. We still love you, but you just didn't come to mind instantly, and I'm, I'm deeply sorry. And I've tattooed your face on my forearm now, so I, so I never forget you. Who is it we're talking about? Exactly. Accidental. Finally, it's not really follow-up, but I just wanted to say, if you are coming to the Mac Power Users Meetup uh, tomorrow, March 15th in Chicago, uh, I will be there. So if you are in Chicago, if you're at the event, come say hey. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing some Mac Power User listeners, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I'm not prepared to spend two days in the freezing snow, so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, uh, Good luck. Good luck. Yeah, I'm going to be cranky like British people when it gets hot. <laughs> this week's episode is brought to you by Pingdom. Start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com slash connected. You'll get a 14-day free trial. When you enter the offer code connected at checkout, you'll get 20% off your first invoice. It's very easy to have Pingdom monitor your website. All you need to do is give them the URL that you wish to monitor, and then they take care of everything else. So if there's a if there's an outage on your site, you'll be immediately alerted so you're able to fix the error before the downtime affects you. Pingdom detects around 13 million outages a month just from the websites that they monitor. There's more than 400,000 outages every day because stuff breaks on the internet all the time. So regardless of whether you are a small website or you're managing a complete infrastructure, many websites, it doesn't matter what, it's super important to monitor the availability and performance. And also, Pingdom doesn't just look at full websites. They don't just check if your entire site is up or down. You can also have them look at dependencies on your site. So let's say you want to track your contact form, your e-commerce checkout, login, search functionality, all independently of your site. Maybe they have different parts that they're built on. They're using different services, using different plugins. Pingdom can monitor all of these things independently. Pingdom uses more than 70 global test servers to emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every minute and a couple of weeks ago or a week or so ago when there was that huge s3 outage uh, the way that we knew that relay fm was hit by this was because steven got a text message an email and a push notification from pingdom so we knew about it we couldn't do anything because it was amazon's fault but we knew about it so go check it out today and you'll be first to know when your site is down go to pingdom.com connected for a 14-day free trial and use the code connected at checkout to get 20 percent off your first invoice our thanks to pingdom for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. 
So Federico, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you mentioned to us, and I think you tweeted about it too, that you picked up, I think, the first HomeKit-enabled security camera. Mm-hmm. So this is called the D-Link Omna 180. Now, you are a canary owner, right? Or at least mm-hmm. you were. We'll yep. find out what, what the situation is there. So um, you had a canary. What made you want to pick up this 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 thing? Really, I just wanted to I just wanted to see how HomeKit cameras would work in the home app on iOS, and I think I bought it as I want to say an investment for the future because right now the support for cameras is really bare bones in the app. There's no basically all of the best controls that you get in the Canary app, and you know the Canary experience. It's not available in HomeKit. You okay. cannot set up custom triggers. You cannot set up automations like. Um, for example, I was imagining, right, I, I have a sensor, a HomeKit sensor that tells me when my door opens and when it's closed. And I also have HomeKit lights and I have routines that turn on specific things at certain times of the day. And I have an Apple TV that I use as the HomeKit automation hub. And I yep. thought, well, maybe uh, if I get a HomeKit camera, there's a way for me to do things like... Um, start recording and send me a notification only if I'm not at home and the door opens. You know, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, none of this can be done with the home app right now, uh, which means you need to install a custom app from D-Link. But at that point, uh, I, I'm just going to use, you know, if I have to use custom stuff, I'm just going to use the Canary uh, app because I have two Canary cameras and I have an account with them and, and it's excellent. So I think... Um, I'm going to keep the camera because I want to I want to see what Apple does with iOS 11 because I have a feeling that uh Apple shipped very basic very um rudimentary camera integration with HomeKit and I expect that there should be a lot more uh notification controls and um you know the ability to set up um basically options to say I want you to start recording and I want you to send me a remote notification only during these times of the day and maybe when some events occur. But really, the core problem here is the lack of a presence hmm. API for HomeKit to say, at this moment, Silvia and Federico, which are two members of you know this family sharing and this HomeKit setup, which is information that iOS already has about me, uh, these two people are currently home or only one of them is. And so there should be there should be a system for accessories and for iOS to uh, route notifications to different people based on the concept of presence, uh, which is look uh, you know whether you are currently inside the house or not. Mm-hmm. And r- really, if you consider the work that Apple has done with beacons in the past and now with HomeKit accessories, uh, this sounds obvious, right? Because if third-party developers can do it uh, with the G-Offense APIs, which are not perfect, imagine what Apple could do with sensors and with you know this different um, proprietary stuff that they can do with Wi-Fi networks, for example. They can see in the background if a device is attached to a Wi-Fi network, or uh, they can see the proximity between the iPhone and the Apple TV, for example. So they can make... Uh, more accurate guesses, I think, as to whether a person is currently using a device at home or not. And that is a big problem when it comes to HomeKit cameras. They're really just, at this point, the setup experience is awesome because you set it up, you scan the code, and it's good to go, and it's added to your home. So the setup is amazing. Yeah. But it lacks the deeper controls that you get in other, in other third-party cameras. 
So, like, if you want to use it, like, you have to manually set it every time and then unset it every time? I mean, basically, you don't get... Um, you have to open the home app and yeah. look at what's going on. and uh, Or you get notifications, but you get them all the time. Because you cannot say, well, at this, like with the Canary, you can say, well, I'm right. at home, so don't send me notifications. So you're manually turning the camera on and off every time yeah, basically. you want it to be recording or not. Yeah. Unless, unless I'm missing something, huh. um, there's yeah. no, uh, none of the Canary features are available in HomeKit right now. And, you know, coming from that kind of experience, it really sticks out. And you say, okay, well, this is a basic camera. It's awesome because it lives in the home app and you get these uh, notifications with rich um, media in them. Yeah. Uh, there's a live feed uh, view. The camera itself, the video quality is great. And also the refresh times, uh, they're much faster than the Canary app. Once you open the home app and you look at the video, it's actually real time. There's a not even a one second delay between what's going on in the home app and in the physical space. So it's from a technical perspective, uh, the video quality and the setup is great, but it lacks deeper controls. I mean, I would consider some of that to be like basic features of a connected security camera that it turns itself on and off. It is a basic feature, but really, I don't want to be notified if motion is going on and the motion is me. Exactly. That, yeah. That's like the basic stuff. That, like one of the reasons I went with the Canary is, is it seemed to have really good settings for that sort of stuff. And exactly. since I've bought it, they gotten way better. Like when they they added the like the nighttime mode, which was like the one thing yep. that they needed to make it perfect. You know, where it would like turn itself on and off based on a schedule that you set. Um, it, yeah, I, I just continue to be so happy with my canary um it, it can i still like i would recommend it to anyone and you know you're talking about automation and it, it doesn't have a lot of well it doesn't have any kind of like baked in hooks to, to services like ifttt but it is possible to connect it to services that would allow it to do that which isn't ideal but you know you can still control it in a bunch of different ways and you can still do a bunch of things with canary themselves to get it all set up um, I, they were, they said, I remember a long time ago, they said they were going to have a, a HomeKit-enabled camera. And, and I'm wondering if maybe they just couldn't get the experience that they wanted, you know, and it sounds like they definitely couldn't, right? Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I was just taking a look right now, uh, again, just to make sure. Uh, when you open the automation screen in, in HomeKit, there's uh, support for triggers like when it's 5 p.m. every day or when my door opens. But then there's no action for cameras. So it's all very basic. You cannot mm. do this automation. I have automations for HomeKit that do stuff like every day at 10 p.m. turn on my bedroom light or every day at 4 a.m. turn off all of my lights. Um, so you can do those. But when it comes to cameras, you cannot, you cannot do things like when it's you know, when it's the weekend and I'm not at home, start recording and send me notification every time motion occurs. Uh, that's the very basic stuff, I believe, for a camera. And the Canary does this very, very well. Uh, but it's not a HomeKit. I am a bit disappointed, of course. Um, but I'm going to keep it because, you know, uh, one of the benefits of HomeKit is that once, you know, once Apple releases an accessory or once you know a device maker releases an accessory that uses HomeKit, it gets upgrades uh, throughout the years. 
So, for example, the controls that I have now from Lights with HomeKit were not available, you know, two years ago. Mm-hmm. So, uh, whenever Apple just makes an API change in iOS 11, uh, the canary, uh, the camera that I have, the D-Link that I have, will be able to uh, take advantage of those uh, with the software upgrade. So that's nice, and I'm going to keep it because, as I said, it's an investment for me. But my main cameras right now are the two canaries that I have. Um, just because I don't have to think about them. And the moment you have to to think about a security camera, it's when the whole purpose is defeated because you're going to forget and you're not going to be alerted of motion. So uh, I'm going to keep it waiting for software changes. But I believe in general, the the big problem here is that HomeKit needs a presence API to allow people and device makers to ship these features like do this only when I'm at home or I'm not, or a family member is. That's, I believe, the the, the, the path forward. It's weird that it doesn't have that, because that feels like such a basic thing at the home of the future, right? Like you walk in and everything turns on. It, it, they, they should really have something like that. Yeah. You know, I've got a, I've got a canary and uh, a Nest cam, and Nest, while it doesn't play with HomeKit and probably never will, and company seems to be struggling to put out products they do they do have some nice stuff in contrast with canary uh, nest the, the app will use your phone's location to set the camera away and and present just like the canary will but the nest cam will do it with the geofencing as opposed to having the gps on all the time and i have never maybe i just a misunderstanding but i have not gotten a canary to ever use the geofence stuff it's always has the full gps on and uh, i don't really appreciate that battery hit nest also is much faster at notifications than canary is so i have a canary in my office and because i don't want to leave gps on all the time i have it set to a schedule that that basically matches my basically matches my work schedule but occasionally i come out here and, and it doesn't right and so i forget to turn the camera off before i enter and so I'll get a notification, but sometimes it's like 90 seconds or two or three minutes late. And if someone were to break into this place, they would have like six IMAX in their truck by the time the canary alerted me to it. Hmm. So I don't I don't love that speed difference. Um, I like that the canary has the built-in alarm sound, which of course the Nest doesn't. So you can arm the canary, and if you get push notification, hit the button, and it sounds a super loud alarm, and people would run away. Have you ever heard the alarm? Yeah. Really? I didn't want to do it. It was scary. I'm too yeah. scared. Yeah, me too. It's loud. What, you just playing around a bit? No, when I set it up, I wa- well, I wanted to do if see if I could hear it inside the house, and I can't do that. But uh, if you were in here and it goes off, like it is loud. You should try it sometime. Because it's meant to spook you, right? Like That's the idea. Like it, the, the alarm is meant to make people run away. Yeah, no, it sounds like a house alarm. The other nice thing that that Nest does um, that it, it, it agree, I agree that the HomeKit stuff should have is that you can use – it has the concept of family members. So in HomeKit, you can share your setup with somebody else. So I set up all of our lights in the Home app and then shared it with Mary, and she has access to all of it. And if I make a change, she gets the change. And Nest can do that too, and it can use both of our phones – to understand when someone's home or not. So if she leaves and I'm still at home, the camera doesn't come on because one phone is still here. And it's that multi-device awareness that really means you don't have to think about it. So if we both leave, I know the camera is going to come on. And if one of us leaves, the other is at home, we're not getting notifications that our spouse is walking around the house all day. So 
Nest has done a better job there than anyone, I think. And I agree with you. Like the Home app and HomeKit should have this stuff. And, you know, this is the first camera. Maybe, you know, this camera came out and they they hadn't gotten around to doing all the stuff. And I, and I hope that they will add it in iOS 11 because it is definitely – there's definitely advantages to having all your stuff in one system like we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. And I would love to have a HomeKit and Echo-equipped camera, right? Like the Canary is nice, but it's an island. And the Nest is nice, but it's an island. And it'd be nice to have stuff better integrated. And Apple and Amazon are the two companies that can do that. I just want to check something. The Canary does have the multi-person setting does it? stuff. Yeah, you can, like, I have the app installed. Adina has the app installed. Um, she doesn't get triggered of me moving around because I'm at home all the time. Yeah, and, and, and I haven't even tried that on the Canary because it's just out here in the office. But right. um, my, my bigger point is that HomeKit d- doesn't have any... Any concept of that, which yeah. uh, which blows my mind. Uh, but this does lead to the rumor, and this rumor has been around for a while. Like It was like a year ago it first popped up, but this um, this rumor that Amazon is working on a home security camera with, you know, assumingly would have some sort of Amazon lady in the tube integration. Yep. Someone's got a photo of it uh, at uh, AFTV News. Yeah, they found this picture on the Amazon website somehow. Like, probably digging <laughs> through some stuff. Like these are those websites, right? Like you, you gotta, you gotta like t- like tip your cap to these type of websites. Like Apple Fire, uh, Amazon Fire TV News, right? That's what this website is. So what they do is they like scour the Amazon website, right? Like digging yeah. up stuff. Like, you, you know, you got to appreciate the resource that these comp- that these websites are given. So yeah, they found this this picture of what looks like a security camera and it has it's a nice blue looking. light on it, right? So like the, the expectation is if you compare what the blue light usually means for Amazon, that it, that it has the, uh, the Amazon Assistant baked right into it. So you would be able to use that to, to set stuff and you could maybe use it for more things, right? Like it might be uh an echo inside a security camera which would be really freaking cool yeah it, and it, it looks nice it's a nice piece of hardware like all, all these devices are pretty inoffensive like mm-hmm. the canary looks basically like an echo kind of this black tube mm-hmm. um the nest cam definitely looks most like a camera like ours is really visible where it is in our living room and occasionally someone asks like someone comes in like is that a camera i'm like yeah but you know if you see an echo it just looks like a speaker and yeah, i really don't like the look of that d-link camera though like it looks a little evil. It's it's kind of small. Okay, okay. I mean, just like the big, like it's because because it's silver and the camera area is black. Like it really draws attention <laughs> to the camera. It does. It does. Yeah. It's like a robot eye coming out of a cylinder. Yeah. It's like oh hey there. Like it peek is peeking out at you. Like it's like I'm I looking gotcha. at you. Looking at you. Right you know, now. it kind of yeah. looks like a Mac Pro. Maybe that's what that team has been doing. What is a Mac Pro? <laughs> mm. <laughs> It has a micro SD card slot in the base. Why does this camera have a micro SD? Can it, it stays because you can you can save footage without paying for a cloud subscription. Oh, that's I missed that. That's nice, but also the the counter argument is if people break into your house, then they also steal your SD card. So yeah, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> you have no footage. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's a thing that you should ever worry about. But anyways. Uh, that is nice because all these all these features require internet access. Like I'm using, um, uh, I got a little freelance project. I'm doing a time lapse, like a like a nine month time lapse video of this construction project, and I'm using four Nest cams, and they all stream 1080 video 
off this off this person's local network to the Nest, you know, Nest Aware cloud service, and I download the files once a week. Like it would be it'd be nice to have more locally stored options. Uh, and there are like high end cameras that do like you get into like real stuff, not this like home automation, mm-hmm. you know, two hundred dollar deals uh, that can store stuff locally. But that's another area in which I think that these these companies can compete against each other. Like with this Amazon thing, like I would hope that if if I bought this and I pay for Amazon Prime, then I get so many days of video storage for free because I oh one hundred percent that's the plan. Be part of that. Be part of that world. You know. Yeah, like that. That's got to be it, right? Like you know, Amazon do this, right? Anything they can do to make the Prime stuff more appealing, they will do it. Um, and they, so I, I would totally see that, right? That if you are a Prime subscriber, you get like seven days rolling footage or something, like for free. Yeah, and then you cannot pay to upgrade to get like thirty days or something like that. Yeah, and Amazon can leverage that sort of thing, right? And mm-hmm. and Apple could too if it cared about iCloud customers, but. uh that that's where these companies are, can compete. Like, I mean, the cameras are all they're all kind of basically the same. They do the same kind of things. Like it's all about these other features that the bells and whistles dictate which one you choose. Exactly. Talking about Amazon Prime, Federico, you it's funny to like to think this, but you just got Prime Video, right? Like you just got Amazon's video streaming oh. service. But I, I think the just uh, relates more to me remembering that this is available linearly because I think it launched a few months ago. Yeah, I, I think Amazon pushed a lot um, to try and launch in other countries when their Grand Tour, the, the X Top Gear show, mm-hmm. went out. Like they, they, because they, only, they didn't have great worldwide availability and apparently they, they pushed really hard to get it out because that show was coming out. So, All right, yeah. There you go. So uh, we have Prime Video, which is this video service that's included with the Prime subscription. And I totally came across this a few weeks ago, like uh, I, I didn't mean to. Uh, basically, um, this is before Zelda, I should specify. Uh, I was It was late night and I wanted to watch something. I didn't want to watch YouTube and I didn't want to wanna start like a new drama type TV show. I wanted something relaxing that could make me laugh. And again, this is before my nights became all about Zelda. Uh, but anyway, I remembered, uh, you know, Mike talking about watching Seinfeld and the fact that I always thought the show was funny and that Jerry Seinfeld was funny, but I never actually watched the whole series. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to watch Seinfeld. And of course, I didn't want to watch it in Italian. I'm not even sure there's an Italian adaptation. I have no idea. I wanted to watch the original. So, of course, uh, I, I googled you know, what's a you know, legal way to watch Seinfeld online. Uh, and there were, I think there was Hulu and uh, Amazon Prime Video. There was no Netflix, at least not with my Italian Netflix. So anyway, long story short, I ended up discovering that there's Prime Video in Italy and it lets me watch Seinfeld and it lets me choose the uh, original English audio with no subtitles. <laughs> um, which I, you know, I was super surprised because here you go, you have free movies and TV shows and you don't have to pay anything to us anymore because you already do. And that was very nice. It was like unexpected Santa, basically, but for TV shows. It's like, there you go, free stuff, but, you know, don't worry about it. I'm like, okay, sure. So I started watching Seinfeld in the Amazon Prime Video app on my iPad and I was surprised and I think... Uh, this is a common reaction every time I try one of these Amazon apps because I, I went through the same uh, process when I tried the Kindle app again. 
it's not terrible. It's pretty good, actually. And they have the X-ray feature that is super convenient. When you're yeah. watching a TV show, you can you can uh, take a look at cast information, for example, and you can take a look at the name of the actor. And then you you know I wanted to Google the name of someone uh, because I have this thing. It's super weird, but I have this thing about when I watch TV shows that are quite old. I want to know which actors are dead uh, because it makes me feel uh, hmm. kind of sad. You're like my mum. My mum does this. There's something about it that I don't know. I need to know if that person's dead. Because maybe if I don't like the actor in that TV show, then I feel bad if I complain because I know the person's dead. Um, so I don't complain about those actors. Um, wow. It's like, come on, the guy's dead. <laughs> what, what do you want to complain? You know? <laughs> so, oh, my uh, God. So that, <laughs> you know, I feel, I, I feel bad uh, if, uh -huh. if I know yep. he's no longer with us. Um, so uh, the X-ray feature is super convenient. And I, I was just surprised... Uh, there's picture in picture. Yep. Uh, you can download stuff for offline viewing. It is probably like of all the streaming services, I think it is the best application that observes iOS features, which is so funny considering like Stephen's already put this in all caps in the document that there is no Apple TV app for Amazon. Yeah. yeah. But on the iPad, they are more. Um, it's great. iOS focused than Netflix is. Again, my, my whole reaction to this discovery is uh, there's this service that a lot of people use. I had no idea. I just walked into it mm -hmm. and I feel kind of kind of stupid because I'm realizing it now. But it, it is very nice. Uh, I also wonder where the Apple, Apple TV app is. But then again, you know, I'm watching on my iPad. I know that, you know, Mike, you, you, at least you used to be like me. I'm just watching TV shows with my iPad on my lap in, mm -hmm. in bed rather than watching on the TV. There, we do watch stuff on the TV, but it's just, you know, to be able to curl up with an iPad and hold it and watch a movie, that's very nice. So uh, I don't particularly care about the lack of an Apple TV app. And as a quick aside, I should say, we've been using the Apple TV app a bit lately to watch movies uh, with friends because it's just more convenient, you know, with three or four people, it's just easier to oh, put I it on the big so screen. Confused. You mean Apple's app that is called TV, right? No, I mean the Apple TV device. Oh, okay. 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 Oh my gosh. Uh, the, the TV app I do use myself for personal use because I've been buying TV shows from iTunes mm -hmm. uh, lately. I realize this is super old person behavior. No, I do it But it's it just easier, you know. Uh, sometimes I don't want to think about downloading stuff from places in <laughs> ways, you know, <laughs> and it's just better to buy with iTunes. It is, anyway, it's more convenient. We've been using the Apple TV device for movies, uh, for social watching with more yeah. people because, you know, an iPad for four, it's it's not going to cut it. Not yet. Um, and we use a lot Beamer, which is this app uh, for the Mac that it can stream uh, movies to an Apple TV or to a Chromecast. So when I have a file format that doesn't work with the Apple TV, usually works with the Chromecast and vice versa. And Beamer is a, is very nice. Uh, so we've been using that. Oh, I didn't uh, but know anyway, about this. That's a good app. Oh yeah, it's it's like a, it creates like a server on your Mac and it streams the video. Right. Like it buffers the video to an Apple TV or to a Chromecast device, which is very nice. Anyway, uh, Prime Video, surprising. Seinfeld, super funny. So I'm I'm happy. Yeah. As an update to the way that we watch television. Uh, we don't do the iPad in bed anymore um, since we got the, the new house. We we have a nice TV and a great sofa, and we watch everything on there. And uh, mm -hmm. we I have an Amazon Fire TV stick now. Um, I had to I got that, which and it's fine. 
but honestly, the the built-in applications on my TV do a pretty good job, right? Like the the Prime, uh, I didn't know it was going to have them, but like the Prime video app is on there and it's good. The Netflix app is on there and it's good. Like they're fine. Uh, but we use the Apple TV as well. Like I kind of use the Apple TV and the smart TV apps the most. Uh, with my new television, but yeah, sorry Federico, I, I I've left the uh, the iPad in bed club uh, because now <laughs> we actually have control of our own home. You know, well, I mean it's okay. We're no longer friends, but it's okay. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> but you know I see the complete value in that. But uh, we just really enjoy our sofa uh, because mm. it's awesome. We have a huge sofa, yeah. Federico, so it works for yeah. us. What's what I particularly like about the prime video app and netflix has added it for some content is that you can download for offline use so i'm mm-hmm. a, i just started watching a show on prime video and i'm getting ready to fly for two days and having that's a long flight man i know yeah Whoa, it's, where, are Chicago, going? I'm, where are you going man? i'm going around the world are, are you are you the one who bought the elon musk uh, yeah moon travel okay <laughs> that's right well relay's paying off wow yeah. congrats yeah we're really really doing well but uh you know, I've got fights coming up, and I want to be able to keep watching that TV show, but I didn't want to – like, it's not a show I'm going to keep around and find a stream and I don't want to, you know, buy it on iTunes to have it locally. And I can just go into the Prime Video app tonight and just download the next four or five episodes and be set. And that is uh, – that's a nice thing. And I think that uh, – I think that Apple nerds maybe tend to forget about Prime Video because it's not on the Apple TV. Like, I get that it's not – that's not a huge factor – Maybe for the two of y'all, but it is for me, and because the Apple TV is television in our house, and mm-hmm. if I want to watch something on Prime Video by myself, it's fine. I can I can join Mike and Federico in bed and watch on the iPad, or I can AirPlay it, which actually works pretty well. So when we watched the Grand Tour, you know, we AirPlayed it from my iPad to the Apple TV, and it was fine. But it would be nice to be there because at least in our household, and I think a lot of others, like that is the primary interface for a lot of watching, and. It, the irony that you brought up might kill, kills me that it is such a good iPad app, but there's not the Apple TV. Just, it makes me sad, but all in all, it's a great service. And a bunch of people already pay for Prime for a bunch of different reasons. So you probably already have it, right? It's not like, it's not, like, I don't know if I'd pay for it if it was another nine bucks a month on top of everything else I, I paid nine bucks a month no. for. But because I already have it, because I pay for Prime, like it just, it all just works together really nicely that already have access to it. It's nice on the iPad and there's a lot, there's a lot of good content there. They have a lot of stuff, especially on the TV, on the TV side of things that Netflix doesn't anymore. And so usually you can find something one place or the other. Seinfeld is a good example. Like I had to fight to try and find Seinfeld and I had to yeah. like, it was just not available outside of the sure. US in any streamable form. But then Amazon bought the rights for what I can only imagine was a billion dollars. Yeah, um, I'm sure. And, and got the and got the streaming rights outside of the US. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, I need to check that out. My Seinfeld fell off a truck, so it'd be nice to yeah. have. I don't know if it's in the US. I feel like it's probably still Hulu it may in not the US. Be. I think he did a big deal with them. I know it is. I know it is on Hulu. But yeah, so lots of good options. This week's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Enter the offer code World at checkout, and you will get ten percent off your first. Purchase Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea. You can make your next move 
with Squarespace. Maybe you're looking to create an online store to sell your physical or digital goods. Maybe you're a band and you want to show off your music and even have a store there to sell merchandise or to sell digital downloads of your songs. Maybe you want to create a portfolio of your art projects because you want to be able to show them off to prospective clients. Maybe you're a restaurant and you want a website to show off everything there. Maybe you just want to have a blog. doesn't matter what you're looking for. Squarespace is the only one platform that will let you do it. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. Everything is on the web. You go in and you can edit their beautiful award-winning templates. You can change fonts, you can change colors, you can change format, you can change layout, all on the web. It's all drag and drop. It's really awesome. Squarespace have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. And if you want to, you can easily and quickly grab a unique domain name as well to give your website the brand that it deserves. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can sign up for a free trial with no credit card needed by going to squarespace.com. And then when you do sign up for a plan with them, use the offer code WORLD because that will get you not only 10% off your first purchase, but it also helps support this show. We'd like to thank Squarespace for the continued support of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So a couple of weeks ago, well, I'd say maybe over the last couple of months, uh, the mm-hmm. Workflow app have been up. The, the, the guys over, guys and gals over at Workflow um, have been up to some interesting stuff. And I am becoming more and more interested in this application as a thing. So mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of like briefly wrap up some of the, the announcements that they've had and talk about that. And then maybe also share some of our favorite workflows that we're using at the moment. And of course, all of this is just like a mere companion a mere chip against the iceberg of what is being covered on canvas right now which is uh one of federico's other shows at relay Mm. fm um fraser and federico started a series of episodes uh on workflow um starting at episode 22 so if you listen to this and you're interested in learning more or expanding your knowledge about workflow uh canvas is the place to do that uh, but I figured that maybe we could talk about it here because I would quite like to. So uh, Workflow recently added something called Magic Variables to their app, which I know you were very excited about, Federico. Can you give uh, like a very brief overview of what Magic Variables are and what they allow you to do? Sure. Magic Variables are a way to save steps when creating a workflow um, because now the app is taking care of saving the output of each action for you automatically in the background without having to use the manual set variable process anymore. So now every time you use an action that creates you know, text or fetches an image from the library, now you don't have to save that data to a variable manually anymore because Workflow is creating in the background a magic variable for you. And so rather than having to go through these manual steps of, you know, actually, I want to save this, now there's a toolbar now above the keyboard where you can uh, tap on the magic wand uh, icon and it opens the magic variable screen where you can scroll your entire workflow and take a look at the magic variables that are available to you. So at any point during a workflow, let's say that you have a workflow of 20 actions, So you're at action uh, 15 and you want to use a variable from action 3, you can just scroll back, tap the magic variable and use it again. Uh, So this allows you to save a lot of steps and a lot of time when creating a workflow. But also, 
Besides, you know, the time savings and the fact that workflows are a lot more uh, readable now because they're more compact and these magic variables have colors and icons, now you can also do um, type conversion. So uh, with a magic variable, without having to convert, let's say, uh, some text to a PDF with a dedicated action or uh, a link to a text message, now you can do these conversions directly from the magic variable interface. So you can change between formats, you can change between types, and you can even extract details without having to use uh, actions. So any workflow user who's been uh, looked at the app before, kind of maybe came away confused or maybe thought the, uh, you know, putting together advanced workflows was too difficult. I, I seriously, I highly recommend taking a look again because magic variables change the entire game in workflow. So do I, because the same with your article on it, I don't understand what you're saying when you explain it. Um, and this is nothing to do with your ability to explain something. There's just so many terms in there that don't, yeah. That I don't get right, like that I just don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. But when I, when I, what I did was I looked at what you were doing. I looked at your article that you wrote, and I was looking at the screenshots. And then I went to some of the workflows that I have, that's workflows that I've built, workflows that I have borrowed from people. Um, and I kind of would just like go into it and press the magic variable button, and it would highlight the sort of things that were available. And then I was like, oh, I get this. So because I've been working on one of my own, like some, you know, some workflows of my own, and I was doing things like formatting a date, grabbing a date, right? Like saying it's this day and then would go into where you had to enter the date into the, like into one of the fields and I'd have to type some stuff and I'll work it out on my own. But now it's basically you just drag a little thing that says date and it's done. And I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. So I really recommend if you have workflows and maybe you don't really understand the programming section of it, like it's not really something that clicks for you very well, like me, um, I recommend that you go in and just poke around with the magic work, the, the, the magic variables button because it gives a lot more clarity and like visually because that was one of the things that annoyed me about workflow was that it was such it's such a visual way of building this stuff but then when it came to variables it was like basically falling back on previous programming ideas that i think for a lot of workflow users and not necessarily something that they're that familiar with because kind of the application is built to be more simple and to be able to give you a more visual way of doing these things and uh, magic variables does that so it's a it's a very very interesting feature that i think makes workflow more powerful to uh, people that are either aspiring programmers or have some kind of automation that they're looking to do but haven't previously known how to do it like me yeah i mean that's exactly you know i think why magic variables are a big deal because they they allow more people uh to create powerful workflows without the complexity of the first versions. So that's great. And then I guess uh, a lot less groundbreaking, but needed nonetheless. Uh, they added some new icon glyphs recently. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I was very yes. happy about that. So they had yes. new icons, more icons to choose from. But also in this update, which is 1.7.1, they added the ability to run a workflow inside of a workflow. Yes. Which is... Which- really yeah yeah that's i think the best way to put it but kind of awesome at the same time i think yeah because it 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 allows you to use workflows as functions really Uh, as i explained in in my article you can now um if you have workflows that deal with a specific function every time like reformatting some text 
for something else. And if you have these workflows, if you if you repeat them over and over inside of other workflows, so like a series of actions that you always use, like 10 actions that you use all the time, now you can just make those actions a single one by creating a separate function workflow and running the workflow inside of another one. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's sort of a, of an objective programming model that you're basically splitting up your tasks uh, in multiple routines and using those functions just when you need them. Um, but it's a way to, again, save uh, space in workflows because now you can make them shorter. Mm-hmm. If you have a workflow that just renames a document, for example, you just make it a separate external one and then you call it and you let it do its thing and you have, instead of 10 actions, you just have one. Um, so that's great. And I and I created a bunch of, you know, all of my toggle workflows, which we talked about. Uh, now I can access them with the, with the, with this method because I have a widget that says, what kind of timer do you want to start? So is it a Mac Stories timer? Is it a podcast timer? And so I have this menu, and when I tap the menu, it runs a workflow using the new run workflow action. So it's a way to collect multiple workflows together, create launchers, uh, use workflows as functions, lots of possibilities here. So again, that's awesome. Uh, um, Just one other thing I wanted to mention. So there's now documentation workflow like lots and lots of documentation which i think is a a good thing to have for people to check against um, and i'm pleased that that exists as well so people can get answers to questions because again i've done this right like and i ask federico uh but not everybody can you know like if i have a question i'm like hey tg can you just like how does this work <laughs> well, well in theory everybody can if they sign up for club mac stories they can oh, ask us questions there you go wow. look at that Look at that. There you go. Sweet plug. And that's how you, you get go. it in the show notes. That's how you get Club Max Stories in the show notes. And I will say, uh, I get a lot of my workflows from Club Max Stories. So I recommend it as a great resource for workflow news and uh, stuff like that. Yeah, I just feel bad. I just feel bad whenever uh, someone asks me uh, like an impossible question. Yeah. Uh, because for all the freedom that you have in workflow, there's just some stuff you cannot do on iOS. And so some people have some crazy awesome ideas. They're actually very good ideas, but I'm so sad because I cannot do them, uh, at least right now. Maybe, you know, I'm sure whenever iOS 11 will come out, the workflow guys will go will go insane. So. Yeah, I mean, I remember when we first ever saw the video that became workflow, we were all like, it's not possible. Yeah. And it ended yeah. up being possible. So, you know, never and here we are. <laughs> yeah. So should we share some of our favorite workflows? Go for it, yeah. So uh, I'm going to be sharing a mix of ones that I have made and ones that Federico's made. Uh, it tends to be the way that these things go. Uh, Federico's toggle workflows, if you are a um, a toggle user, a, a toggle time tracker, uh, Federico's workflows for that are awesome. Uh, these will all be uh, in the show notes where there are links available. We'll, we'll talk about that. Um, Federico also created a Todoist workflow that I really like. Uh, it, workflow has some built-in Todoist actions, but using the API, Federico was able to kind of dig in and enable more so you can add more to it. And it's, it's a very nice workflow that you can kind of trigger from anywhere. And if you're on a website, it grabs the URL, that kind of stuff. I like that a lot. Uh, one that I made myself, which I'm very proud of, um, is again, this probably isn't very useful to you, but I'm going to include it anyway. Um, it is a workflow to allow me to tweet from any of the accounts that I manage the most recent episode of a Relay FM show. So I can trigger it, I can select the account that I want to tweet from, um, I can select the show, and then I use magic variables to help me format that. 
Um, so it formats it with the episode number, the show name, uh, the title, and a link. Um, so that's in there as well. I like that one a lot. I'm very proud of it. Uh, there is also an inspect RSS feed workflow that Federico built for me because it is impossible to look at an RSS feed on iOS. None of the browsers will let you do it. Uh, mm. It used to drive me crazy until Federico fixed it for me with workflow. And also an oldie but a goodie. And I do not remember where this came from, but I love this one, which is to send repeated text in a message. So you can have workflow, for example, send 10,000 love heart emojis to somebody. Um, I have crashed many of my friends message apps uh by using uh this workflow and because you can go, you can go like you can go to hundreds of thousands if not millions um and as kyle's is is mentioning the balloons uh this this came from me i think and uh, this originally came from me sending i think ten thousand uh red balloons to uh casey when he first hit ten thousand followers that was a lot of fun so they are some of my favorite workflows and some that i use frequently yeah, we have a lot of overlap in ours. I, too, like the Tweet Podcast workflow. Um, I don't use Toggle. I'm trying the enhanced Todoist workflow, but honestly, it gives me... it. It's nice, uh, and it's powerful, And but I also have one that basically just sends any input to the Todoist inbox. So if I see a URL in TweetBot, or something's in Safari, and I want to just say, hey, I need to deal with this later, just put a link to it in my inbox. It's just super fast. I can do it from the share sheet. Uh, I don't necessarily, for those tasks, want to spend the time categorizing it and putting all the details in, just like, just save this over here for later. Um, I'm also using Federico's published to WordPress workflow. So I, on if I am writing for my blog on iOS, I do it in one writer. And I can fire that from within one writer and basically give it the title, select a couple options for my WordPress site, and then publish it, which is really nice. Uh, WordPress, their backend has gotten a lot better on mobile, but it still leaves a little bit to be desired. And the WordPress mobile app is nice, but it doesn't support uh, custom fields, which I need when I publish to 512 Pixels. So I'm using that WordPress and then uh, lastly, using Federico's iCloud Drive copy and paste deal. So you have a text file that sits in iCloud Drive, and you can basically send and receive text to it. Uh, I use it to get text from the Mac to my iPhone like pretty often because iCloud, the iCloud keychain syncing thing like barely works for me. And I w- in fact, I wish there was a way to turn it off because sometimes it just makes pasting super slow for no reason on one of my devices and it's infuriating, but it's a nice workaround for that. Um, so I'm not using as many as you guys are. I mean, I'm on the Mac all day. I don't really work on my iPad very much, but especially like those fast things like getting to do is publishing to WordPress ways that I can speed things up that I, that I do do on iOS is, uh, is always a plus, but just use Mac. Hmm. So most of the the workflows that I um, that I can share, I've been uh, I've already put on Mac stories on and on Club Mac stories. Uh, I have a you know I I do a lot of workflow uh, and a lot of that is specific to Mac stories. I showed this to Mike uh, last year when we were traveling to WWDC. I'm going to show the updated version this time. Yeah. Uh, but we have a lot of uh, in-house, let's say, workflows that are just custom made for us. Um, whether it's about, you know, like seeing what articles, uh, you know, team members are working on 
or assigning stories to other writers. Or, for example, uh, we have this workflow that I, that is the one that I showed Mike, which is, uh, you know, every time there's a, you know, uh, somebody asks us a question for Club Mac stories, it goes to a Google form. And from the Google form, uh, this is quite complex, and it may sound like a house of cards, but it's actually been working well for like two years. So it's rock solid. Um, from Google form, it goes to Trello, uh, where we can view this sort of this dashboard of here's every question that people is asking you. And from Trello, I can, you know, I can pick which questions I want to answer. There's a button in the Trello card that says run the workflow. And when I run the workflow, it opens the workflow app and it reformats uh, this question. It puts the person's name at the end. It takes the main text and it, you know, converts to Markdown. So it does a bunch of reformatting for me and then finally goes straight to Ulysses, which is my text editor. So we have a lot of these uh, Mac story specific workflows that are saving us so much time. And I, in fact, I've been putting together this sort of very rudimentary wiki, <laughs> which is a shared note in the Apple Notes app with, the, with an explanation of all of these workflows for uh, the team members and you know all of the links uh, and the details for what they can do. But lately, we've also been... Uh, I've spent the past month really rebuilding this automation for uh, Club Mac Stories, um, which is working very well. We've been testing it for like five weeks at this point, so I'm very happy with it. And uh, basically, it's a way for us to save apps and stickers from the App Store into specific uh, Trello lists and Trello cards. And the trick here is that, you know, uh, Workflow talks to Dropbox and to Zapier to always get the latest information um, about, you know, what's the latest uh, Mac Stories Weekly issue that you sent, what's the latest uh, Dropbox shelf folder where I should put the images in. Uh, I've been using Workflow to, to integrate with MailChimp even. So now I can, uh, I can take screenshots from my Ulysses articles and put them in the MailChimp file manager uh, with the MailChimp API. So when we're putting together the newsletter, we already have the images there. Uh, so I do a lot of Mac story specific stuff in workflow, but I also do a lot of more, I want to say, um, shareable, maybe basic, maybe simple, but still useful, so useful uh, automations that I brought about, like my clipboard manager, which I use all the time now, and my toggle workflows, which are like, now I, I cannot imagine working on my iPad without running the workflow widget uh, for the timer first. So I have, I think, about 60 workflows, and I want to say maybe 30 I use on a regular basis every day. So this is kind of all of the good stuff. Uh, what is missing from workflow right now that you want to see them add? I mean, they, I mean, it's, it's clearly fine to ask them because they keep adding stuff at a blistering pace. So for you, Federico, what are you looking for? There should be a better way to organize workflows. There should be support for folders or some other tagging system to organize workflows in groups yeah. and to easily access those groups. Because I delete some workflows every now and then, so I don't have too many in the in the app. And, and right. I don't think that's the best thing to do because there are some that I just use every now and then. So what I end up doing is like, I'm like, oh, I've got a workflow for that. And then I go to the apps like, oh, no, it was one of the ones I deleted six months ago. So now mm -hmm. I have to either try and rebuild it or find it again. Right. Because I don't exactly. like when I open the application to have to be scrolling through pages and pages of stuff. Exactly, and this is a 
tricky problem, right? To do folders, especially when you consider the widget. So do folders uh, also end up in the widget and you can browse folders in the widget or do you just uh, have this single, you know, this root view of all your workflows in the widget? This is tricky. Uh, but I think, you know, other apps like Magic Launcher, for example, have shown how you can do folders of shortcuts in a today widget. So I think it's totally doable for the workflow team as well. And I think there should be super for folders. And the other big one for me is um, there should be more ways to filter inputs. Um, and specifically to when it comes to the action extension. So for example, I uh, I would like to see more conditions, more criteria to be matched uh, when a workflow should become available or should run. Uh, so for example, right now you can choose different input types. Uh, like you can say, I want to have this workflow in the action extension only if it's a Safari web page or only if I'm sharing an image. But you cannot do more than that. You cannot say, for example, I want to show this workflow only in Safari and only if the website is maxstories.net. Mm. Or you cannot do, I want to share this workflow only if it's an image, but only if it's also a screenshot. You can do that with actions. You can do that manually. But again, like magic variables, you need to do it manually. So it means more steps and it means more time. There should be an easier UI to filter inputs. And also, not just about the extension, uh, more filters, more criteria for conditional blocks. So when you when you want to do stuff like if this you know equals contains, there should be more controls for that, and there should be more ways to you know to kind of compare objects, compare items, and to you know take different paths depending on what is matched and whatnot. But I think you know folders and filters for the extensions, uh, those are the, the big ones for me. So I'm going to try and explain something that I want, and you may have to correct me on some terms. So with some workflows that I have and some workflows that I've built, you have you create like a dictionary, right? And the dictionary is, is like a bunch of things which you can then select from. So that yes. you can have it so it can pop up, for example, to choose which timer you want to run in Toggle. And currently, the dictionary has no fixed sorting ability. Well, I'm sorry, Mike, that is by design because in the Apple SDK, the dictionary is an unsorted list. That's not even that's that's out of workflows control. In that case, I would like them to add something that was specifically yes. for the use that I want. Yes. Which is allow me to add a list of things that mm -hmm. can then be port that I can then select from and it runs different items, right? Like yes. that's that's what I want to be able to do. And then that list is sorted by my design. Yes. Editorial had that. And it was excellent. You could create this custom list that showed you uh, buttons, but the output was something else. And the order was the order you specified. So mm -hmm. I, I also agree. There should be there should be this. Yeah. So that that's kind of the thing that I want because I find myself wanting to and or making workflows like this, and it, it frustrates me when the list is just like haphazard. If it if it like it doesn't seem to sort in any way, right? It's just like I don't right. even know how yeah. they do this. Yeah, because um, uh, when when workflow so really taking a look under the hood, but when workflow creates a dictionary, so the order that you see, then when it's I don't want to say compiled, but when it's executed, um, the the iOS API treats the dictionary as an unsorted uh, object. So you know it iOS chooses the way that the dictionary items are displayed to you. Uh, the, the the keys and the values are always kept together, but the order is cho chosen by iOS. However, it decides it wants to at that point. <laughs> yeah, basically. 
Stephen, there's an item in the document that says Stephen has a big question, which I'm kind of uncomfortable about. But it's, it's very, very. Um, I I can see where this is going, but I want I want Stephen to say it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So I want to play devil's advocate for just a second. I'm not going to go all John Syracuse floating windows on you. <laughs> I will. I will hurt you. <laughs> but <laughs> their workflow is amazing. Right, it's on the home. Even though I'm not an iOS first user, it's on the home screen of both my devices. I do rely on it. It is incredible what the team has done. I I get the sense though, and it makes me a little uncomfortable that so much of what the two of you do and so much of what other people do is dependent on this single app. That mm-hmm. uh, without workflow, the the iPad, in my estimation, let me get through this before you jump on me, would be less efficient in its usability. Uh, I'll say it that way. That there, there are things you can do in workflow that you can do lots of other ways, but workflow makes them efficient and mm-hmm. fast and tidy, mm-hmm. right? Like no doubt, like that is workflow's uh, strength in my mind is that stuff that would take me a bunch of different steps on iOS, I can do all in one place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would happen to, <laughs> to y'all's uh, complete working life if this app were to go away? Well, that's a fair question. Um, it is. It it is a fair concern, and I and I think we we talked about this uh, between ourselves. It's a uh, it's going to be a problem, and there's no 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 question about that. Um, because yes, there are alternatives. You know, for years I, I've done this stuff with editorial with Pythonista, but then again, it's not the same. It's not as easy, not as efficient, and not as powerful. And if workflow went away. It would be a problem. There's n- no way to sugarcoat it, I think. Yep. It would be a big disruption. But like yes. the way that I think about this is this isn't an iOS-only problem, right? No, and I'm not right. saying that, but but that's a different conversation. Sure. Like, my question is, what would happen? Yeah, like, yes, like if Logic went away, you'd be screwed on the Mac too, yeah. right? Like, mm-hmm. um, but, but I agree, it, Mac, is a, it is an issue because it is like this this one company, right, who are doing yes. really yep. amazing things. They have some incredible engineers there. Like, Totally. I'm sure that there are many companies that would like to just come along and scoop them up and kill the app, right? Like, it is a big... It is a concern. It is a concern enough that me and Federico have this conversation on a fairly regular basis where I joke to Federico that he needs to start saving money to buy them uh, <laughs> just to make sure that he can protect himself. Uh, but yeah, I agree. It's it's a problem, right? Like, it is a problem. And if it did go away, like, if it just went away, which, you know, I, I really hope that it will never go away. But if it did... Me too. Um, I would struggle with some of the stuff. Like I could I could still do I think everything that I use workflow for, but it would be very inconvenient, very inconvenient mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, I mean you can uh, totally valid concern. You can make the same argument about anything really. What if X went away? Sure. But I, I do think workflow is a little unique, uh, to, to Mike's point. Yes. If Logic goes away on the Mac, you can use Audition. Or if TweetBot goes away on the iPad, you can use Twitterific. But workflow, right. to a degree, isn't a category unto itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no, there's no backup plan. That, that's the, the scary thing about it. Uh, if it goes yeah. away, uh, you need to downgrade to a less effective solution. That's yep. the reality here. And there are a bunch of web automation services that could take some of it on. 
Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of on-device stuff that only an yeah. app like Workflow or a Workflow competitor could could do. Mm-hmm. And I don't see a, the possibility of a Workflow competitor. Like, I, I cannot envision someone trying to come along and do what they do. Um, well, so, yeah. it's, a, it's a very big challenge right now because, exactly. the, you know, compared to the first version, the first version, which was kind of, uh, I mean, you could copy it maybe, but now they have a huge advantage over, you know, yep. anyone else. So it is a very good question. It is a very good question. But I think uh, we'll all feel better if we just don't think about it. <laughs> right. Yeah, and exactly. I, I don't. I don't mean them any well. Like, it's just something I think about. I think about that in my own workflow, right? Like, what are the choke points? Yeah. Like, if if my, you know, USB Pre 2 that I'm talking to you through, if it explodes, and, like, I have another interface that I can, like, drop in. If my microphone quits working, I have another interface. If my iMac melts down, I have a laptop. Like, I think about redundancy and workflows, yep. and workflow.app seems like a choke point. And I, I think that, to your point, like that is a huge advantage for them in the market, right? They are the, they are doing some truly amazing work that no one can catch. Like no one's going to catch up with them. But at the same time, that does leave uh, the rest of us sort of in a vulnerable position. So just, just something that's been on my mind. That, that's all. Yeah, the, the, my, my main concern really does come from uh, what I would expect their desirability is to outside companies. Uh, yeah. that, that's what concerns me. Like I don't, I'm not concerned the app is going to go away. Right, like I'm not concerned that they're gonna go bust. Um, I, I, that's just not a thing that I worry about. It, it, for all I can see, the app seems to be pretty successful in its market. Uh, my concern is that there's just an incredible uh, pool of talent there. Um, well, yeah, so, you know, yeah. the the basic reality is that very few people despise money, and yes. you know, when you have talent, and when people notice you, and the people come with the bags of money. Uh, it's very hard to say no in most cases. Yep. So, you know. Anyway. <laughs> That's Talking about money. About <laughs> Maybe the one for guys don't like money. Maybe they don't. You know, who, who likes money anyway? Uh, nobody. Whatever. Today's show is brought to you by Encapsula, the multifunction content delivery network that boosts the performance of your website, protects it from denial of service attacks, and secures it from bad guys whilst ensuring high availability. All you have to do is make a small change to your DNS to activate Encapsula. You don't need to install any hardware or software. It is ready to go when you are. Then you'll have access to Encapsula's global network of 30 data centers with 3 terabits of bandwidth. Then this network stops attack traffic, making sure denial of service attacks never hit your servers. Meanwhile, they cache your content and optimize connections using their powerful CDN, so your users get your content lightning fast. And you can see it all working on Encapsula's dashboard, where you can get a live traffic view of your site with the ability as well to also create custom rules that can meet your exact security needs as a listener of this show you can get one whole month of service for free all you need to do is go to encapsula.com slash connected that's i-n-c-a-p-s-u-l-a.com slash connected this is where you'll find out more and claim your free month thank you so much to encapsula for their support of this show and relay fm now federico okay there's something yeah. else that you're up to right now uh which is very desirable to me, with the, the, the things that you have been uh, teasing me and Stephen with recently, 
And I'm wondering if you're willing to share with the, the you know, the close audience of connected listeners uh, what it is that, that you're up to. You know, it's just between us. Sure. I mean, I, I can share what we've done so far. I'm still not sure about the details of what ne- what's next, but uh, we're building this custom Slack bot, um, which is just for us, and it's called the Story Bot. Um, <laughs> yeah. And... It is my idea to sort of try to automate not the things we do, but the things we say on Slack. Uh, so it's this different kind of automation, and and it's based on the idea of letting every team member be able to access uh, this bot's feature and talk to the bot and let the bot uh, sort of be a butler, if you will, uh, sort of like an assistant uh, for... Uh- Butler, I love Butler. you so much right now. Like I cannot even describe. Yes. Like I was formulating that pun, and you said it. I'm so that's, proud. That's that is perfect. Um, to be able to have this butler um, do stuff and remember things. So I'm gonna give you some concrete examples. Yeah. Um, so it's right now we're splitting up the story bot in multiple features each of them activated in two ways, either with a Slack slash command or with an API, of course, um, which you can use for workflow. Um, cool. So the, the first feature was a way to assign articles to people, uh, to MacStories team members. And I wanted a way to not necessarily have it be me, going into the Slack and be like, John, you need to write this up, or Ryan, you need to link this news. I wanted a way to... So that anyone, me or John or you know anyone else, could take uh, a web page or an article, a, a link, whatever, and post it in a channel and say, this is up for grabs. Who wants to take it, who wants to write it up, can claim the article and assign it to himself so he can start working on it. Um, and so we created this Slack interface, this bot that takes you through a bunch of steps that says, okay, well, you want to create this article assignment. Can you give me a link? Uh, do you have uh, an expected due date for this article? So I can say, guys, I-, I need you to cover this news ASAP or later today or tomorrow or sometime this week, or maybe there's no due date. So whatever. Um, and there's a uh, Alex or uh, Alex is you know he's an awesome engineer. Uh, besides you know writing the annual watchOS reviews and macOS reviews, he's an engineer by trade, and he created this custom Slack UI um, where there's buttons. You know there, we can choose. There's menus. It's very it's very awesome. So when you go through this article assignment process, at the end the Storybot gets this complete sort of card. It's an interactive card with details. So there's a preview of the of the link that you need to write up. There's a you know there's a description, and it posts this information into the Slack channel. And there's a claim button, so people can go there and be like, "Oh, I'm gonna take care of this." So when you claim the article, a few things happen. Uh, the article, uh, the, the person who created the assignment, uh, gets a notification on Slack from the storybot that says, well, look at that. Ryan just claimed the article you, you posted. So I know when someone is committing to taking care of something. And on the other hand, uh, 
there's also the fact that the, the person who claims a story gets a message from Storybot. Says, okay, you just claimed this story. I'm just going to stay here and remind you that you need to complete this. <laughs> and and uh, Hey, what you doing? <laughs> yes. Watching you work. There's a few things here that uh, the Storybot does. Uh, if you don't complete the story dep- relatively to the due date, it's going to send you a couple of reminders. Uh, we didn't want to go we didn't want to go overboard with that so it only sends you I think two to three reminders a week um, depending on when the article is due. But also He's there's outside a, your house waiting for you. <laughs> it's basically waiting, it's basically me just be like, "Hey buddy, what's up with the with this story?" Uh, and there's also we added so this is the big one that we did. We added Todoist integration for every team member. So uh, we all use Todoist at Mac Stories. So everyone can sign in with their Todoist account directly mm-hmm. from Slack. And they can do, okay, this Storybot assignment. Also, let me track it in Todoist. Because, you know, I, maybe people don't use Slack for reminders. Maybe they just want to see their complete task list. So we added this uh, add to Todoist button. And the beautiful thing here is that when you complete the Storybot assignment, uh it also checks it off for you in Todoist. So it talks both ways. And there's a few th- there's a few extras, like I can create article assignments from Workflow, so I don't have to go through the slash command process, and it's all automated with Workflow. And there's also the other side of this, which is I want to view all active articles, so all the stories that my team members are working on. And there's a separate... Uh, there's a separate uh, API endpoint that, or you know, Slack interface um, that shows me a list of okay, John is working on this and this, Brian is working on this other link, and so I get a complete list, so I can view okay, all of my writers are working on these stories, and that's the first feature that we did. Now we're just completing the second one, which is uh, a way to use Slack reactions as a shortcut to create Todoist tasks for any Slack message. And huh. well, this is quite, in theory, this is quite simple, right? It says, I want to use a Slack reaction and I want to mark this as a to-do. But of course, I went a little, uh, we kind of went the extra mile here. Oh, really? Why? You, you can on. associate an individual emoji with a specific Todoist project and a specific Todoist template. Oh, uh, actually, Todoist uh, due date, sorry. Uh, so what I can do is I can use the sun emoji for something that is due today in the afternoon, or I can use the moon emoji for something that is due today in the evening. And each of these emoji can go into specific Todoist project. So for example, if I use, I don't know, the dollar bill emoji, it's a Club Maxoris project. Yeah, boy. Yeah, it if is. I, if I use the green checkmark <laughs> emoji, it's a personal reminder. Mm-hmm. So every one of us can as, can create their own emoji reactions associated with a do, with a Todoist due date and project. This is incredible. Yeah, like it's flat it's out. That's nice. incredible. Like, I I really want that. Like the ability to do the emoji <laughs> reaction thing. Like that is <laughs> awesome. So if you have like if you have, it's basically a way to to be like if you know you get work done in specific times of the week or specific times of the day, mm-hmm. you can quickly assign things to yourself using emoji, which are, you know, first they bring a lot of color into our conversations. 
and also they're easier to see and easier to identify than text. Yeah. Um, and this is a great way to also remember what the context is. Because whenever you say, you know, I save a Slack message in Todoist, it creates a task for me, but the task itself is a link back to the Slack message. So I can tap the task and it goes back into Slack and it tells me, well, this is what you're supposed to complete. This is what you need to, you know, get done. So it can be an email message. It can be, uh, you know, a conversation with someone. It can be a direct message with someone else. It can be anything as long as it's on Slack. And uh, we're we're just wrapping up work on this, and uh, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty awesome uh, as a way to sort of forget less and do more, but also without having to go through. Most software really is slow, and I want to speed up stuff with automation. So this is a different kind of automation. It's basically a custom program just for us. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I think it's nice. Yeah, I think we. I have big plans for. The story bot. Uh, uh, and, you know, uh, some of them, uh, those plans I discussed with you, it's all very unclear at this point, but I want to, the, the, the basic goal is I want to create this sort of intelligence that, um, <laughs> that, allows, me to, that allows me to ask it stuff. Like, I, I feel like most of the work that we do as humans is boring. And because we have to deal with stuff that computers are not yet capable of doing. And when it comes to my little corner of the internet and, you know, my website, um, I, want to, I want to have a bot that remembers things for me, whether it's, you know, how many articles have I written about workflow or what is a, you know, a common trend in the reviews that you've done about, I don't know, iPad apps, you know, stuff like that, understanding the English language and sort of uh, remembering stuff in a database, make it searchable, make it linkable. Um, I have a lot of plans for this and it's going to take, you know, several months, but I think this approach of splitting up the story about in multiple instances, in multiple features, each with a different command, each with, a, you know, a different API endpoint, it's gonna, it, it makes it a lot more easier to understand because if someone says, I want to make a workflow for just for the article assignment stuff, well, there you go. We have documentation, we have an API, use that. Uh, if you want to go deeper with the Todoist stuff, you can also do that. Um, I, I want to make a lot of features for the Storybot. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's gonna be, it's gonna be useful. Uh, I can only imagine the things I'll do for my iOS 11 review. So we'll see. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing like the byline at Mac Stories to be like Mac Stories from Storybot and Friends. But but that's that's <laughs> the that's the thing, right? I I don't want to I I don't want to replace uh, you know the creative aspect uh, with bots mm-hmm. uh, because it, it makes no sense. But it's the management stuff, it's the boring stuff like searching and linking and assigning yeah. that can be automated. Of course, it can. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Mike, you spoke a couple of weeks ago about using Zapier, and we we have now attached some stuff into some Slack channels for us at Relay. And I'm really intrigued by this idea of making Slack sort of a like a dashboard. Like you have all your chat and all your gift sending and all that stuff, but to have a place in there where I can just see status of things because I'm already there all day, right? Like Slack is open all the time on my computer. It's on the home screen of my phone, and bringing information into it as opposed to having to go out and find a bunch of stuff is really compelling. Now doing it in a way that isn't overwhelming 
is kind of the problem, right? You can you can hook all this stuff uh, into Slackbot, but in, as just a stream of text, it can be you know it can be easy to fall behind and easy to kind of lose your place. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of where I struggle with this a little bit. But all in all, it's it's a um, it, it's it's nice to have some options, I guess, to not to necessarily automate it, but just to have everything at your fingertips is is pretty cool. Yeah, to to make. Because Slack is for many businesses and for for many teams, Slack is is such a hub. Anyway, um, being able to pull more information into that hub is is useful, right? To save you from going elsewhere when you're already always in Slack. Yeah. All right. If you want to find our show notes for this week's episode, head on over to relay.fm/connected/slash one three three. Um, if you want to find us online, there's a few places you can do that. You can head on over to maxstories.net uh, to find the work that is produced via the nagging of Storybot. Um, you can also follow Federico online. He is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. Uh, Stephen is at fivetopixels.net and at I-S-M-H. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks again to our sponsors for this week's episode, Pingdom, Encapsula, and Squarespace for helping make the show happen. But most of all, as always... Thank you to you for listening. And we'll be back next week. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.